Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 112, and we're discussing deaths in anime that hit hard. This episode will have major, major, major spoilers for the anime that we're going to talk about. And major, major, major sadness. Yes. Lots of depression and feels. Sad boy hour. Sad boy and girl hour. (laughs) Well, before we get into a lot of sad discussion, um, let's talk about what's new with us. What have we been doing? Probably nothing. Working. Working. I've been working (laughs) a lot. It's the busiest time of year for my job. So uh, I've, I've been trying to squeeze in some anime to watch, like just to give my brain a mental break but you know sometimes it's just hard when you have to grind it out at work uh what have i watched recently oh i, I did finish uh licorice recoil i think i keep calling i kept calling it licorice recoil <laughs> so uh that was one that i wanted to finish from the not the fall the summer season uh and yeah, I thought that was a pretty good show. I think you're still working through it, so. I have like three episodes left and it's pretty good so far. Is there anything else that you're watching right now that's not seasonals for the current season? Uh, What did I start? Oh, I started, <laughs> this is kind of random, but I started One Punch Man season two. And there's a reason for it. Um, you'll, you'll probably see in the coming weeks uh but i i finished season one i think over the summer um and i i enjoyed it it was actually a show that we had picked up long before we had started the part podcast it's long before we started started the podcast uh but we had just dropped we had just dropped it for whatever reason but i picked it up again this past summer we didn't drop it it went it on just hold. Like, yeah, I, I guess feel technically like, on hold. Like time got away from us back when we were watching it. Yeah, uh, but I picked it up over the summer. I finished it. Uh, I thought it was a pretty pretty good show. Um, but I know there's there's a lot of things that were said about season two, and so I wanted to go in and kind of investigate for myself. And yeah, just the first episode, I can see why people were saying the things about One Punch Man season two that they said. Um, so uh, I won't go into any further detail, but yeah, that's what I've started recently. What about you? I actually just put One Punch back on my watch list because I finished another anime that sort of opened up a slot in my anime watching schedule. And that anime that I completed is, okay, I don't know how to fucking say this title. Is it no dame cantabile or no dame oh cantabile. Gosh. The Italian ancestors, <laughs> your Italian ancestors, I know are I'm half Italian <laughs> in their grave. It's no dame cantabile. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> it's a I musical term. I will not say that correctly, so I'm just gonna say no dame because that's the name of one of the main characters as well. Um, but I started that one. I I discovered it because. You guys are going to laugh at me. I discovered it because I was looking through forums. I don't know if it was on Reddit or on Mal um, with topics about anime recommendations where the main character is a male Sunday. Of course. (laughs) So I got a lot of great recommendations and that was one of them. And I had kind of put it off for a while. I just wanted to find the right time and like, 
headspace, I guess, to watch it because it's a romance anime, um, but also a music anime, but also a Jose with a full like adult cast. So it's like working adults. So right up my alley, but I wanted to kind of save it for like when I could really dedicate a lot of time to it. And I'm glad I did that because I blew through all three seasons. I think there's three seasons and all the OVAs in like less than a week. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> How many episodes per season? Um, Good question. Let's pull it up. All right. So season one has 23 episodes um, and then there's one OVA. Season two has 11 episodes and then there's one OVA. Yeah, two OVAs, one OVA. And then season three is 11 episodes plus one OVA. So it's like shorter than most anime seasons with one or two cores. But if you add the OVAs, then you're talking like a normal 12 episode season, normal uh, 24 episode season. So it's like 40 something. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it was really good. Obviously, I enjoyed it a lot because I binged it so quickly. Um, I, I loved every bit of it. Um, I think one of my favorite parts about this romance anime is that it's completely different than your typical anime romance. Um, not to like really spoil anything, but they don't just come out and say how characters are feeling. You have to observe the way that they're behaving or decipher it from the choices that they make. So it's not like, again, like a typical anime romance, like you have the inner monologue for the characters and you know who likes who and they're struggling if they're going to confess or not. Like you don't get any of that in this. It is very much geared toward a more uh, mature audience because again, it's an adult cast. It's a Jose. So it was like something I've been like longing for because I've said it before on the podcast. I really want there to be more um, romance anime that follow like working adults. And that's exactly what this is. So it's something that you would definitely recommend watching. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, someone correct me if I'm incorrect, um, I believe Dan from Otaku Host Club had talked about this before um, and said that he really enjoyed it as well. Uh, if I can I, see that. He's a musician. So. Yeah, and if I am wrong, I do know that he rated it very high on Mal. So at some point, he really enjoyed it. Um, but either way, I, I he spoke highly of it. And I'm speaking highly of it. So, yeah, I think it's it's a solid watch, especially for someone like you who has a music background. Yeah, I think I have it on my watch list on Mal um, because I knew, like, I was looking at anime that pertain to music outside of, like, Your Lion April, which is a one that I know everyone's been raving about that we haven't gotten to. Um, so it, it's there, but... Just knowing from what you're saying, like about 40 plus episodes, this might be like my next uh, Marmalade Boy. <laughs> where it's but gonna Marmalade take me... Boy was way longer, wasn't it? It was like 76 episodes. Yeah, so more of a time commitment than this. Yeah, but yeah, it's probably something I will save for, you know, when, when work dies down, especially during the holidays and we have a lull in things we have to do. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll consider it. One bit of housekeeping before we dive into the episode topic, talking all about these deaths. Um, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, if you like our discussion about dead characters or enjoy anything that we do at Strictly Anime, especially our anime reviews, consider supporting us. There's a lot of easy ways to do that. Um, I think the easiest ways, honestly, are 
leaving a rating on Spotify or Apple or whatever podcast service you listen to us on, if they have ratings available, that helps us out a lot. Um, you could also join our Discord and be a member of our Strictly community. We've got great people on the Discord who are a lot of fun to talk to. You could follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. So a little bit different there with the handles. We had a character limit on Twitter, so they're a bit different. But I think um, one of the most effective ways to help support us is through word of mouth. I, I've read before that um, one of the, the best ways that podcasts grow is through word of mouth, people recommending the podcast that they love to people who also enjoy that same topic and who also enjoy listening to podcasts or introducing them to podcasts in general if they are an anime fan. So yeah, if you know somebody who's a, a fan of anime or manga and you think that they'd enjoy the discussions that we have here, recommend Strictly Anime to them. And of course, if you want to go above and beyond and find another way to support us, we do have a Patreon as well. Um, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. We very much appreciate any and all support um, on our Patreon. We have amazing patrons already. Um, but if you can't support us there, again, there's a number of ways that you can help us out. And we appreciate all of it. And if you do consider joining us on Patreon, um, there's a lot of great content on there. We have our pre-shows that we almost do on like a weekly basis. Uh, we have monthly bonus episodes that you can enjoy. Um, so a lot of content there that you don't get in this podcast, but obviously it's a it's a nice gift for your support. So yeah, definitely check us out. All right. Are you ready for the sadness and depression and all the talk about deaths in anime that hit hard? No. Oh, okay. Well, we're <laughs> going to do it anyway. I was going to say, it's kind of <laughs> kind of coincidental and, and kind of perfect timing. I know last oh, week... Oh, God. Well, last <laughs> perfect week, timing. <laughs> last week, we had our, our Halloween special where we talked about Tokyo Ghoul. Um, so it, maybe in, in that line, yeah, it's like Halloween's called like the Day of the Dead in, in some cultures. And so now it's, it's kind of appropriate to talk about that. And uh, I think in the Catholic tradition, there is a holiday called, or I guess a holy day, of obligation called All Souls Day, um, which is meant to honor the dead. So with it being November, um, I think All Souls Day is November 2nd. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of in line with this, this very morbid and melancholy topic. But I think deaths in anime are pretty significant and a pretty big part of what makes anime so spectacular just because of the impact that these the, these deaths have on characters and on stories. And on us. I mean, yeah. I think you you hit the nail on the head there with how, how important anime is to us as weebs when deaths like these, um, the ones that we at least have on our list, impact us in the way that they do. Like that just shows that there's really good writing out there. There's really good characters out there. And we identify and connect with, um, you know, on an emotional level with these characters. And it's so hard to see them go, especially when some of them have really fucked up gruesome deaths. So uh, we'll talk all about the ones that we have on our list. And to kind of clarify, actually, let me just, I'm going to remind everyone again, this episode is going to have huge, huge spoilers for all of the anime that we talk about because we're going to spoil the shit out of characters that have died. I mean, that is one of the biggest ways you can spoil a show. So 
just strap in, get ready. If you hear the title of an anime come up that you have not watched yet and you don't want spoilers, skip ahead. We'll try to give a little bit of wiggle room before we actually reveal the deaths. Um, that way you guys have that heads up. But, uh, you know, you've been warned. And to give a little context to our list, these are the deaths that hit us hard personally. Not all of the deaths we've ever seen in an in anime in general, but the ones that resonate with us um, in some way, shape, or form. And it's also of the deaths that we're aware of based on the anime we've seen. I'm sure there are plenty of deaths that have happened in anime that we haven't had a chance to watch yet, but please... Please don't spoil those deaths for us. Uh, if if you want to talk about this topic after you know hearing this episode, just tread carefully. Normally, we invite um, everyone listening to reach out to us if they want to share something off of their list or share suggestions with us or let us know if we missed anything. But in this case, uh, we might not do that because again, we don't want to encourage a bunch of spoilers, unintentional spoilers. Um, to come across for anime that we have not seen yet. But again, there are plenty of deaths out there, but these are the ones that truly hit us right in the feels. Um, deaths of characters we weren't expecting, uh, of characters we loved or connected with, or maybe even deaths that you know we're kind of happy about because it's a character that deserved it or they sucked ass. Um, who knows? It's, it's a combination of those things, but probably mostly the anime deaths that really impacted us in some way. So we have not revealed our list to each other. I'm going to guess there's probably a lot of overlap because we've seen a lot of the same anime and we connect with a lot of the same characters. But as always with these list type of episodes, my list is probably twice the size of yours. Yeah, well, you, you <laughs> told me beforehand how many characters you put. Uh, and I like I went through my mail, um, thought about each anime and, and then put down some characters that I thought had deaths that resonated with me so yeah like you said i think we'll have overlap but your your number is just <laughs> i don't know if i felt like oh this is gonna be like a two-hour podcast with how many characters you want to bring up but yeah maybe we'll show the same ones well do you want to start or do you want me to start um you can start okay all right <laughs> I want to process these deaths really quick. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to start. Can I do like two in a row? Because I'm going to start with one that I'm not actually going to talk about because it always comes up and I never talk about it okay. for good reason. Okay. You All right, me, well, that's, You have me concerned, but okay. <laughs> that's Clannad After Story. Oh. But I'm not going to talk about it because you have not watched it yet. Every time Clannad comes up, I, I mention it and I'm like, if you know, you know, but that's all I ever say because yeah, you haven't watched it and I think you should at some point and I just cannot spoil it for you. Um, but as I've shared before on the podcast, Clannad is the only anime to ever, actually the only piece of media in general to ever actually make me cry. Um, and there's reason for that, but I, I just, I can't say more than that because Carl needs to watch it. So if you know, you know. If you watched Clannad after story, if you watched Clannad in general, you know. Well, people are so sensitive about not spoiling Clannad for others. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like the only thing that no one wants to spoil, um, I guess, outside of even Attack on Titan. But 
So I'll, I'll jump in with my second one. It's Akudama Drive, which you also haven't seen. I don't know if you will. But Akudama Drive, um, again, we're, we're full spoilers here, so I'll just go ahead and say it. The, the premise is about this, like, ragtag band of criminals um, who come together to, you know, save whatever city or whatever. Um, but the interesting thing is, as the show progresses, literally all of the main characters die. Um, and even though I didn't love every one of the main characters, it did hit every time one of them died. But it was especially hard and, and almost poetic seeing Courier and Swindler die. Because Swindler is just a regular person who gets caught up in this whole scheme that's going on. But yet she's she ends up dying as almost like a martyr or a savior. So she goes from literally like no one to probably the most important character in the entire show. And then Courier dies. Um, he was my favorite character. So that's why it hit me in the feels. But he dies um, in sort of a heroic way after being the Sunday, the male Sunday that he is and pretending not to care the entire time. He deep down inside does care and, and pretty much does the self-sacrifice play at the end. So I really, um, I really, I was going to say love these deaths. I don't love them, but the way they died, I think is very impactful. I want to guess why Courier is your favorite character. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Besides voiced, the fact that he's a male son today. It's voiced by Yuichiro Umehara. Hell like, yeah. Everyone take a shot for every time Courtney <laughs> says Yuichiro Umehara on this podcast. But, <laughs> he's my okay. favorite voice actor. Dude, his, his voice is awesome. I love every character he does. And yes, he happened to do Courier as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess... It's it's my turn to to name a death that impacted me in anime. Um, I'm just curious. Do you have any characters from Cowboy Bebop? Of on course your list? I do. Do you? Of course I do. Okay, I don't know if you'll have this one, but yeah, this is a character from Cowboy Bebop, and it's Julia. Oh no, I do not have Julia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have Julia. Um, so Julia is Spike's love interest in Cowboy Bebop. And I know like a lot of people like to ship him and Faye together, but I think their relationship is just more like a brother sister kind of relationship. I agree. Because yeah, Julia is his his true love in the series. And if I can piece together correctly what happened, it's Julia was originally with Vicious and she had an affair with Spike, and then that's kind of what led to their fallout. Um, especially with Spike, I think, wanting to leave his life of crime with the syndicate that they were part of. Um, I know like the live action bebop goes into a lot more detail about this, but I don't really but consider. We don't talk about that. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I don't consider that canon, but I think like with Julia, like she's a, she's a femme fatale um, on par with Faye Valentine in the series. And it's clear that anytime Julia's name is brought up, like Spike suddenly has this flashback moment to all of his memories with her. Uh, even though that he's he's just a bounty hunter now trying to just make it by with however many wulongs the, the Bebop crew makes. Um, it's Julia that kind of brings him back to his his previous aspirations of wanting to get out of this life of crime and, and enjoying a journey with her. And so she eventually does show up by the end of the series, but like it's a very fleeting moment where they reunite and they're fighting together against the syndicate and Julia's just ripped away from him in an instant with like a like a, a, a bullet shot from a 
thug. And it's it's very sad because this is like Julia is the one saving grace in Spike's life. And for her to kind of exit unceremoniously, it just gives this a huge shock to his system. And you rarely see Spike get emotional in the show, but you can you can definitely tell this is one death that is going to sit with him for the rest of his life, however long that life is. Because, you know, the ending of Bebop is, <laughs> is kind of up in the air for a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, it, it's sort of that... I don't want to say forbidden love, but um, unfulfilled love. That's kind of the tragic thing here. I did not have Julia on my list, but I do agree that her death is really sad because Spike spends most of the anime in search of her, trying to reunite with her. He finally finds her. They're finally back together. And then moments later, she's ripped away from him. So mm-hmm. it's just like, damn, that fucking sucks. Yeah, it's, she's sort of like a representation of what what could have been for Spike. But since he was he left the syndicate, but she went her own way. And being a bounty hunter, he's still in this life of of somewhat of crime, but it's more of like crime fighting. But you know, still that rough and tough Wild West nature. Um, yeah, it's. I think this is what kind of sets him over the edge with the end of the series and that like this life, it's not something that he can ever be privileged to have. And so that's where he has the final showdown with vicious. And, and then the ending is up to your interpretation, I guess. Is that the only character you have for cowboy bebop? That is. Oops. Okay. Well I have spike. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So yeah, this is, this is an interesting one. But Yeah. So I know you're right. That it is up for interpretation on whether or not Spike dies at the end of Cowboy Bebop because we never see him like actually dead or get that confirmation. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes in anime, if you don't see a character die, they're probably not dead. Um, and I, I think in my head canon, I like to think he is still alive that you know, the Bebop crew makes it there. They save him. However, he continues to thrive. He still does. But I think in reality, um, most likely he died. Yeah. It's just too poetic, too perfect for him not to die. Especially with, you know, like tying up all the loose ends he had with with Jet and with Faye at the end. Like for him to have survived the onslaught against the syndicate and with defeating vicious and then him returning to the bebop like hey i'm i'm all good now something wouldn't be right about that like yeah like you said there wouldn't be that poetic moment for him if he survived and there are other poetic deaths where i think the character could have survived and still had a a a fantastic ending to the story Um, but i think spike's death is gonna be more towards the camp of like, if he didn't die, the story wouldn't have been as impactful. So again, mm-hmm. I like to believe that he's still alive somehow, but in reality, he probably did die based on that last showdown with Vicious. But the reason that his death is so impactful to me is that, um, you know, of the Bebop crew, he's the one that acts like, you know, these people don't mean as much to him um, or he's not a part of this like family that the crew really becomes at the end of the day. He tries to, you know, just be the the someday that he is sometimes and just be distant and cold. But he shows those silver linings of really caring about the other characters. There are times he helps Faye 
um, especially when she's struggling with her identity in terms of like remembering who she is because she lost all her memories um, in terms of like helping Jet. Like he sees Jet, I think, as like a mentor figure. Whether or not he admits these things, you know, I think that is the the truth. So you see him as part of this tight-knit crew and almost like, you know, kind of like a new family for him, someplace that he could, I don't know, put down his roots after leaving the syndicate. Mm -hmm. And then it's like he's ripped away from them. And you can tell how much it destroys Faye at the end of the show, knowing that he's about to go into this really dangerous battle where she's likely never going to see him again. That shows the connection that the crew had with him. So that's why it's so difficult. And of course, he's a really fucking awesome character. Mm -hmm. So it's always hard to see a great character die. Next on my list, I have a biggie. There's a couple names here. But it's characters from Code Geass. Did you have Code Geass on your list? No. Oh my god, you didn't have Code, Code Geass on your list? I mean, I, yeah, Code Geass was a blur. And so <laughs> I didn't really, I think because of that, I didn't really feel like their deaths resonated with me. I mean, they were sad, but it was like, oh, well, there you go. Yo, these just <laughs> fucked me up. All right, well, I'll go right into it. So I'm going to do a quick shout out death, um, more of like an honorable mention. Because this is not a death that I think hit me hard in particular, but really, really hit our friend Rob hard. Shout out to you, Rob. And that's Shirley's death. Fuck Rolo. Oh. <laughs> Fuck Rolo. I mean, that, 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 that did come out of nowhere. But I, I, I knew it. It was one of those deaths where like I knew it was coming from a mile away. It didn't make it any easier um, because of like how, like specifically how she died. But I... I also, like, wasn't super crazy about her character. Like, I enjoyed watching her, but she wasn't, like, one of my favorite characters. So I I, for, I certainly felt the emotion when she died, um, especially knowing it was completely avoidable. But I wouldn't call it one of my most impactful deaths. So, again, it's an honorable mention. But a death that did fuck me up um, was Yuffie's death. Mm. Yeah, okay, that was that's a notable one. <laughs> that's it was brutal. I mean, brutal cuz you talk about probably one of the most honest and friendly and like innocent characters in this entire show where every character has uh they're very complex. Every character is is complex, but Yuffie was very straightforward. She had an innocent goal in mind. And her death was a complete accident. Probably one of the only times Lush would actually admit that he fucked up. Um, so if you're if you need a reminder about how Yuffie died, let me recap this. So she was talking to Lelouch. Um, they were preparing for some sort of speech for this designated zone for the Elevens um, so that they could live peacefully and whatnot. And Lelouch didn't realize that his Gios had reached a certain level where it would activate without him commanding it to. So he makes a joke about Yuffie killing the Elevens, but activates the Gios power at the same time, and it forces her to kill the Elevens and like actually attack them herself. And in the moments that the, the Gios is taking over her mind, I think it's one of the first times we see in Code Gios someone actually like actively resisting the Gios power because mm -hmm. she kind of struggles and, and you can see she's like trying to resist as much as possible because this is literally the worst thing she could ever do and not in her nature at all. 
So then it gets worse because she grabs a gun. She runs out to the crowd. They think she's about to give a really nice speech. And she just says, can you all please die? And then just opens fire into the the crowd of innocent 11s. And it is just so fucked up all around because this is like completely out of character for her. Um, and then to just like add insult to injury, to just rub that salt in the wound, it's even more sad because she just started to get really close with Suzaku. Their their romance was blossoming. Um, they were she was helping to get you know the Britannia and the Elevens in like a good place. Um, and yeah, she dies with Suzaku by her bedside, and it's just really fucking sad. How does she die? She gets shot or something, right? Like someone's trying to like stop her. Yeah, I forget who had ultimately shot her down um but <laughs> it is a fucked up death especially because it it the, the gias that lelouch activates it's on a fluke and it's all because of a joke like an innocent joke and and he loved yuffie mm-hmm. like like you said she's the purest of heart on the show like there's no one else in code gias who is as empathetic as yuffie was um and i think the fact that the most innocent character on this show succumbs to a gruesome death it just shows like they're the loss of innocence in this world like as much as they're fighting for this peace between the elevens and and britannia uh like this is a moment where lelouch realizes like these things like (laughs) the world is cruel basically and as unfortunate it is, like things to to establish peace, it, it must be kind of taken by force. Uh, that that's the way that I, I kind of viewed Yuffie's death, and I think that's what Lelouch, like that's what goes through his mind as he he calculates his mastermind plan to actually free the Elevens at the end of the series. The last death that I have from Code Geass that really fucked me up was Lelouch's death. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people could call that one from a mile away. He's one of those characters, like a tragic character, where he has this grand plan. Um, it has good intention behind it, but he doesn't show that on the surface. Um, but the only outcome that's really fitting for his character is his death. This is one, though, unlike <laughs> where I could have seen Lush live. Um, maybe have some sort of punishment for what he did, whatever. But I, I feel like there could have been a way to keep his character alive at the end and, and still make things work. But either way, he dies. Um, he does it through the self-sacrifice play, um, but he also does it after he uh, gets everyone to hate him. He makes himself the villain um, that unites everyone, unites all the people together. And yeah, it's just very poetic um, the way that he goes out uh, with his sister, you know, holding his body at the very end because wasn't she on like the float or whatever too she felt betrayed like not only felt betrayed by lelouch um i think he got like suzaku to kill him as zero yeah right and then um lelouch like fell into nanali's arms or like right in front of her basically he's right Mm -hmm. right near her and that was just like brutal the whole thing was really brutal but it was just such a grand uh really intense death but just a great way to end the show not a great way as in like i enjoyed him dying because i loved his character but just a perfect end to such a wild ride 
I think Lelouch intended for his death to be symbolic, like you said, putting putting all of the animosity of the world upon himself uh, to to serve as this sort of scapegoat, I guess, um, in his plan to, like I said, actually give freedom to the Society of Elevens. I forget what they were actually called. Was it District Eleven? Area Eleven. Area Eleven. The the alternate name for the Japanese people. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really sad because Lelouch ends up being like the unsung hero uh, with like Suzaku being one of the only people that, that know his, his true nature and like the reason why he implemented this plan. Uh, so he's not going to be remembered fondly in history. He'll just be written as like this, this great villain uh, when in reality it was him who saved the entire world. And I think that's what's the craziest about Lelouch's death is that he knew he wasn't going to be remembered in the greatest way, but he committed the greatest deed. He like knew that going into the, this whole grand scheme of his. The second he got the Gias power, um, he knew he had to be the villain that unites everybody, and he, he did it well. The next person that I have on my list, this is another uh, character from an anime classic, which is Trigun. And... I have Trigun on my list, too. Okay. Oh, shit. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the character that we have on both of our lists, and I am referring to Nicholas D. Wolfwood. Yup. <laughs> the great preacher of Trigun. <laughs> um, yeah. The holiest man in that whole show. <laughs> yeah, who has a really awesome weapon. I think it was called the, the Cross Punisher, um, <laughs> which I didn't even think was going to turn into a weapon until he just whips it out. Uh, I know, like, in Trigun, it, it's been a while since we've watched the show, but he and Vash were always at odds, and it's revealed pretty late into the series that Wolfwood was keeping his eyes on Vash uh, as a favor to his brother Knives, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't recall, actually. Um, I, I think Knives had talked, because Wolfwood was part of that whatever group of the religious assassins i remember yeah i remember him growing up in that that religious group yeah we got well okay red flags all around you get wolfwood's backstory in the middle of the (laughs) show and lo and behold he dies that same episode who would have thought yeah i was just reading through uh uh synopsis just to make sure i I get my story right but i'm pretty sure wolfwood was sent to keep tabs on Vash and that's why he just randomly shows up in Vash's journey and then was tasked with killing Vash but I think what makes Wolfwood a a terrific character and and why his death was so meaningful is that Wolfwood went against his own ideals um, especially with you know Vash was all about love and peace and 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 going through things in a non-violent way which was in contrast to Wolfwood's upbringing. And I think he knew morally that Vash was in the right. And so that's what kind of tore him from, or made him conflicted in getting rid of Vash. And so I think he ultimately saves Vash at the end and, and goes against his former mentor, which leads to his demise. And yeah, that, that episode where we see his death, um, it's a whole flashback where he is reflecting upon his ideals. Um, and... 
I think he, he dies knowing that he did the right thing. And, you know, the musician in me loves the song that they use in this this very poignant episode, which I think is called Rockwen or Paradise. It's just a very simple guitar melody and a, a male singer with a low voice. And I think occasionally he says hallelujah, um, but it's kind of ironic in this sense. So I think that's that too makes this a very impactful death for me. I agree with all of that. And the I think the thing that really hits me when I think about Wolfwood dying. One, is, I guess one is because he's my favorite character from Trigun, but two, more importantly, it's how he spends his final moments with Millie. They have sex. I mean, yes, <laughs> they bang. <laughs> but I love Wolfwood and Millie because they're such an unexpected couple and they grow close throughout the the show once Wolfwood's introduced. And they're pretty much one of the only romances that you get in this entire show, or at least confirmed canon romances. Like, we, they are actually canon. But, yeah, they spend their last moments together, um, you know, being with each other in various ways. But it's very, very sweet. It's done super well. And I think Millie knows exactly what's going to happen as soon as Wolfwood leaves because she's still in the room, I think, after his death is confirmed. And she doesn't want to come out. She doesn't want to face the reality that the person that she fell in love with is now gone. They spent so little time together, even though they were so in love. And that's what hurts so bad. Yeah, poor Millie. And this is an aside, but I know that they're doing a, a sort of reboot of Trigun. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I don't either. And I saw the recent trailer a couple of weeks ago, and it had some of the characters that we knew from the original original anime but millie was absent it was very odd if they don't put millie in there like why even bother <laughs> she's a great character yeah, holy stun shit stun gun millie why would you omit her but anyways I, I digress the next anime on my list is one that i will be shocked if it's not on your list that's death note Mm, I, I do have one character on here. It literally has the word death in the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a lot of fucking people die in Death Note. But there's one death in particular that hit me hard. Not because I I emotionally connected with this character. Not because they were my favorite character or my least favorite character. Um, not because of really anything other than my complete surprise when they died. And, and at what point they died in the show. And that's L. I was blown oh, away. Oh, that was not who I had. <laughs> but okay, yeah. I was blown away at when he died. So I actually knew that Elle was going to die because the show's been around forever. Um, I I was a weeb during Death Note's original run when everyone was obsessed with it. So through osmosis, through accidental spoilers, I knew for a long time that Elle dies. I had no idea he only died halfway through the show. That was what blew me away. And mm. I just, to me, that's one of the most brilliant pieces of writing in Death Note, albeit what comes after L, maybe not as exciting as L himself. But either way, I mean, that was just like the coolest part of the show or one of the coolest parts of the show for me because I was like, holy shit, no what way. A, what a cool death. They, they got rid of the antagonist <laughs> or I guess the protagonist, depending on how you you view light in that, uh, in that like categorization but yeah they, they killed that uh, they could i can't talk they killed death <laughs> they killed death they kill l like how many episodes in i have to look this up really quick i think it was because it it was kind of split into three parts death note 
Um, so I want to say it was the end of the quote unquote second core. Um, so what would that be? He dies in episode 25. But how many, yeah. So how about many episodes did it have? You're right. It's just like at the end of part one. Or part two. Oh. I guess I, I, the way I viewed it is like there's three parts to death, but it could be part end of part one. Oh, whatever I Googled just said part one. Um, There's 37 episodes. So not quite the halfway point, but still very early on. Like very, very early on. So I forget like L had kind of died of a heart attack at, at a very inopportune moment. But then it kind of set this whole contingency plan into place where Elle's successor, uh, what was it? Mellow and Nier. Well, I think yeah. Nier was like the one who finally got to reveal the mystery of Kira, uh, the identity of Kira as Light Yagami. Um, yeah, it was really odd because I thought L was going to be victorious in the end, but you know, the, the show had no end of surprising us. But like I said, it, it left it, at least L had kind of left a, a legacy to follow uh, where he was ultimately the victor against Light. Yeah, but also like technically Light won. The, the whole reason L died is because Light won in the early part of the show. Yeah. I think they both won, like, like Light won first, and then L came back with a vengeance, but mm-hmm. through, you know, through his predecessors. But yeah, I mean, Light not only killed L in that moment, but also killed Misa's Shinigami, what the fuck is that uh, character's name? Rem? Yeah, Was Rem. You know, I'm bad with names. I think it's Rem. Did you say predecessors? You mean successors? Oh, oops, like successors, yeah. Predecessors, <laughs> like those who came before. Yeah, him. successors. Thank you for that correction. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it, it is Rem who is uh, Misa's Shinigami. So not only does Light concoct this perfect plan to get rid of L, it's a double whammy because Rem is also like nixed at that point. It mm-hmm. was just crazy. That whole scene was crazy. I mean, there's a lot of crazy scenes. You've got like Ray Pember's fiance. That whole episode was absolutely insane. Oh, um, fuck yeah. You've got the, the I'll take a chip and eat it too <laughs> scene, which is just wild. I mean, the writing in Death Note is phenomenal, but... The way Light perfectly calculates that plan to get rid of L was brilliant. Well, since you mentioned Death Note, I guess I should bring up the character that I had um, in this series that impacted, whose death impacted me. And it's Light's father, Chief Yagami. Oh, fuck. I forgot he died. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> right. Well, it was in a weird part of the show. I think this is why I call it like the second part, where Light temporarily forgets that he is kira yeah when he's like held hostage or something yeah or he's in the holding cell and like that was like that was a really strange part of death note um but it, i guess it, it kind of took the show in a new direction uh where where like kira's identity was was just really up in the air but at during that whole part i forget how chief yagami like he gets injured but then he ends up in the hospital and he knows like the cards are kind of stacked against light and like bringing to, <laughs> no pun intended, bringing to light that he is the one who's Kira and, and he refuses to believe it. Cause you know, like for, for a police chief to have a murderer as a son is just unheard of. And so I think in the uh, chief Yagami's Yagami's dying moments, uh, he's, give it or he has like the shinigami eyes 
and then he looks at light and I know there's like a stipulation for uh I forget what it was like seeing someone's death or something but like death note wielders you didn't have that someone needs to clear that up because it's been so long yeah I think you're right I think having the Shinigami eyes you like can't see the confirmed death date for like another death note user Mm because that's why that's why light sends misa out to hunt down other death note users i i could be fucking wrong (laughs) i'm trying to remember this yeah it's been so long since we've seen the soap but i think point of it is chief yagami looks at his son and he's able to confirm with his own eyes that light is not kira when in fact it is actually the case so he died i guess feeling like he was relieved that his son wasn't the killer when in in reality it, it was far from that case um so it's it's kind of sad that he like chief yagami didn't actually know the truth but it was more and i think this is a line from the dark knight like sometimes you need something more than the truth I think it's, uh, I know there's like that morality of it. Like, is it better to tell him the truth or is it better to let him die believing a lie? I think in this case, it was better that he believed a lie because mm. at least he died at peace. But can you imagine if he found out the truth, he would have died on the spot. Even if he was perfectly healthy, he would have had a heart attack <laughs> and died immediately. A flat line right there. Yeah, <laughs> that would have killed him for sure. So I, I think that his death played out probably the best of anybody's death in the entire show he's the only one that had a peaceful happy death at least in his eyes his shinigami eyes (laughs) next up on my list is two year eternity season okay here we go here we fucking go you already know (laughs) all right so i'm gonna put it out there march's death yes it was sad don't get me wrong but literally nothing compares to guru's death nothing yeah, i had him on my list holy fuck it wrecked me like that is one of the most painful and sad deaths i've ever experienced in anime i was not ready for it i didn't expect it i was like yeah someone's probably gonna die and it's gonna be sad but i did not think i was gonna be so torn up over gugu it was it was rough because you spend so much time watching him overcome so many obstacles in his life and become so close with Reem and he dies saving her, which is like if he had to die, I guess the perfect way to do so. But then I, they, they make things worse by trying to get her to believe that he's still alive, but is just leaving her. But she knew. She knew. Yeah, you could tell yeah. she knew the truth. She, she just didn't want to you know, put everybody on the spot. But I'm like, that sucks. He, he was so <laughs> close to having everything after having pretty much everything taken away from him. He was so close to getting everything he ever wanted, which was, you know, being in love with Reem and being in a relationship with her, especially when society said that they weren't supposed to be together. And then he's gone. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I think that's just a testament to Gugu's nature. Like, as much as... He sought happiness with being with Reem even in the face of the society the society he was part of, like their norms and traditions. I think what made him happiest, even at the cost of his own life, was just making sure that Reem was safe and saving her from the rubble of 
What were the creatures? The knockers? Was that what they were called? Yeah, knockers. I don't know how you remember that. I kind of <laughs> forgot that it, was what they were called. <laughs> everything's coming back to me. I know To Your Eternity is in the midst of season two right now. Um, so you got to catch up on that. But that aside, uh, like you said earlier, March's death was 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 hard to watch. But, you know, we didn't spend as much time with March as we did with Gugu, especially because we see Fushi grow up with Gugu and Gugu kind of serving as a, a father figure to Fushi at the same time, even though Gugu is technically younger than Fushi's form as that nomad. But yeah, when it came to his actual death, I think visually and musically, oh, it was yeah. like one of the most heartbreaking but most beautiful things to watch in anime. And I, I still get chills thinking about it. And even I'm, I'm hearing the soundtrack in my head, uh, like the, the song that plays as we see Gugu's death. And it's just one of, again, one of the most forlorn things I've heard in anime. And I think what puts the cherry on top is we don't see Gugu's death directly, just knowing the nature of who she is, the orb. He inherits the, the, the form of the characters that are closest to him that die. And in the midst of his battle with the knockers, he just suddenly changes to Gugu. And then that's when you, as the viewer, know Gugu is no longer on this earth. And oh man, that just set me over the edge. I was on the verge of tears watching this just because, again, how beautiful this moment was portrayed. And when Fushi turns into Gugu, he is just stunned because mm -hmm. he can't believe that Gugu has died. Um, yeah, that was that was so rough. And you're right, Gugu and Reem's love song whatever that it's, it's called on the soundtrack is such a beautiful song but i cannot listen to it it's on the spotify <laughs> playlist and every it time is. it comes up i have to skip it because i'm going to get really emotional if i listen to it one of these days i'm just going to sit down and you know let the feels be hit but i need to listen to it at some point because i'm starting to forget what it sounds like but i just can't i, no, I can't I, I hear there's it. never a right time for it i hear it clearly in my head now like the violins that come in Woo. Like if you need something to to pull you down, <laughs> I don't know why you want to be suddenly wrapped into like sadness. Just listen to the Gugu and Reem love song. Actually, I think it's it's Reen. I don't know where we're getting Reem from. I don't know. You Maybe know like we're, we're, we're thinking of Rem <laughs> and then going to Reem, but I think it's Reen. Gugu and Reen. So the next character I have on my list is one from. Vinland Saga. Yep, though, I've got Vinland Saga too. <laughs> there are plenty of deaths in that show because it's all about like Vikings and brutality. Uh, but the only character I had uh, from Vinland Saga that had a meaningful death is Askeladd. Wait, had a meaningful death or a death that hit you in a or, certain yeah. way? Yeah, a death that hit there were hard. some other meaningful deaths no, okay, in Vinland yeah. Saga. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. a, a death then that, that hit hard was the death of Askeladd at the end of the first season. Um, especially because he's he serves as the sort of antagonist for Torfinn throughout the series because Askeladd is obviously the one that killed Torfinn's father, Tors. Right, that was his name, Thor's. Thor's, yeah, I Thor's. say Thor's. Okay, I, I pronounce like, I know it like you say the, it different, <laughs> uh, like like the Japanese dub. Uh, and so, Torfinn has many reasons to want to exact his vengeance on Askeladd. But even as Torfinn is tagging along 
with Askeladd's group of Vikings on his journey. Um, Askeladd, like you said, just kind of serves as his father figure along the way and helps Torfinn to ultimately realize that this culture of brutality and of pillaging isn't the way that he should properly live his life. And I forget what happens at the end, but there's like a, a fight that breaks out where Askeladd is gravely wounded, and this gives Torfinn a chance to finally lay his father's killer to rest, but he can't bring himself to it. And that just leads to this poetic moment between the both of them. Well, I, I recall it a bit different that that Askeladd succumbed to he was succumbing to some like fatal injury. Mm-hmm. And Thorfinn knew that was his that was it. Like he was gonna die. So he was pissed. He's like, I'm supposed oh, to be the one that right. kills you. Okay. So I mean, yeah, he yeah. could have like technically finished Askeladd off by like chopping his head off. But at that point it's already it's already okay. soured because someone else technically got the kill. Yeah, but I guess that that kind of leaves Torfinn's quote unquote soul intact, um, just knowing that he wasn't able to kill Askeladd out of vengeance. And I think that's what Askeladd was hoping for as a, a final way to honor Tor's dying wish. Because I think Tor's wanted Torfinn to to live a life free of, of vengeance and to right. He wanted Askeladd to kind of take care of him. I mean, not, yeah, I mean, that was kind of like the, the implied thing when Askeladd killed Thor. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, then you got to be the one to take care of my son. Yeah, and I think, like, obviously Askeladd wrestled with that throughout the show, um, and so he died knowing that he was able to fulfill that task. Yeah, I think one of my favorite relationships um, in all of Vinland Saga is Askeladd and Thorfinn because Thorfinn is like the definition of love-hate. Their their relationship is like the definition of a love-hate relationship because Thorfinn literally hates Askeladd and wants to kill him to get revenge for his father being murdered. But at the same time, there's like this unspoken, you know, father-son bond that they form. Um, and Thorfinn will never admit it, but I think deep down inside, like, he knows that's the truth. And Askeladd knows it. You can tell there's, again, Askeladd would never say it, but there are moments that you can tell he has sort of that fatherly feel towards Thorfinn. The other death I had on my list, because I had Askeladd as well, I did put Thor's death on there mm. too, only because he was such a great father who instilled some really good principles and morals into uh, Thorfinn. And yeah, his his death like really wasn't preventable. He knew that. He just accepted it as it was. Um, but he was Thorfinn's guiding light. I mean, he clearly was the most important thing to Thorfinn because then he goes on this uh, revenge crusade for the entire rest of the season. And that's literally the premise of Vinland Saga. So mm-hmm. the whole premise is based on Thor's dying. So I, I did find that to be really sad because I really, really liked Thor's character and the way he the way he behaved as a father to Thorfinn. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of the pioneer for laying down your your weapons and pursuing a life that is full of meaning. Because I think upon seeing Thorfinn being born, he knew what was really important in life. And yeah, it. I think once you're in this life, you can't really get out of it except through the same way as like the other Vikings or whoever that you've pillaged and killed um but yeah at least Tors was 
able to reconcile with that in the end, even though he succumbed to a brutal fate. All right, so the next anime on my list is uh, one that no one will be surprised is on my list. It's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And yes, mm. I do have multiple names, but I'm going to try to condense it, keep it brief. I had a longer list and I told myself, no, I do this every time with JoJo. I'm a huge JoJo fan, so I put like every fucking person on every single list. So I narrowed it down to two deaths that really impacted me, but then two others that I have to at least give a shout out to. So I'll start off with the shout outs. Um, first off is Danny. Oh, that Danny. is like the worst, one of the worst deaths. Um, it's very sad. And I know Rocky is known for killing off dogs and he does it often. But Danny's death is always going to be the one that hits the hardest. The other um, honorable mention is Narancha's death. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you kind of looked at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen part five. But yeah, I, f- I forgot that Narancha died. Yeah, Narancha <laughs> dies towards the end of part five and kind of like the climax of the battle with diavolo and it's unexpected they literally turn around and he's fucking dead like it's Mm. crazy and he was um you know he was like the rowdy loud one of the group but he was a really important part of their group and kind of like the the younger brother of the group itself so yeah it's sad when that character that type of character dies as for the the deaths that really hit hardest um, the first one I have is Caesar's death. She's, She's uh, I mean, yeah, classic line. Yeah, I had him on my list. Yeah, when Joseph discovers his body um, and he screams, She's and has like tears and snot running down his face. I felt the same way that Joseph felt in that moment. And I loved their friendship because they had that sort of friendship slash rivalry going on and they slowly became best friends as the show went on, or at least it was part two went on. But I think it hits extra hard because Joseph and Caesar's final moments is them fighting with each other, mm-hmm. like fighting to the point where it escalates and they punch each other in the face. And then Caesar walks off in anger. And it's just one of those sobering moments where you always have to remember, like, this moment could be your last moment with somebody. Is this how you want to end it? Right. But even in Caesar's final moments, even after having just had an argument with Joseph and punching him in the face, he still does the, maybe not like by choice self-sacrifice play, but he does, you know, leave something for Joseph in his final moments to help Joseph with his uh, his ultimate goal of defeating the Pillar Men. So Caesar was still focused on helping Joseph and helping save the world even in his last moments before he gets squished. And his death is another moment that just has a, beautiful musical accompaniment hell yeah it's a it's an it's an aria like an opera aria that was originally it's it's an original song written specifically for part two it's not from an opera of olden days it's specifically written for caesar and like you know as you hear this opera like this male opera singer sing his heart out the song and it comes in right when joseph screams the shiza and as you hear the strings start to well and you witness uh joseph and lisa lisa grieving and in agony it just it really hits you on the spot and (laughs) you just (laughs) you just see the, the stone cross that's pummeled caesar to his death just there and hearing this, it's it's something else. The other death that I had for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure 
is Bucciaretti's death from part mm. five. His really hit because he's, as we all like to meme, he's the mother of the group. Um, he he dies, but then lives thanks to Giorno, but lives knowing that he's going to die anyway at the end. Yeah. So it's it's just this crazy scenario. Like I can't even imagine being Bucciaretti this whole time keeping the secret that he technically died and is going to die again. And he's doing everything he can to continue living in order to help the gang fulfill their mission of defeating Diavolo. And when he finally does die, he dies alone. He dies alone in the Colosseum because everyone else thinks that he's body swapped with somebody else. Um, so his body's laying there and they're just, they're none the wiser. So he, he dies so far ahead of when they realize he's passed away but the whole group doesn't realize it it's Giorno that sees him ascend into heaven the most glorious ascension yeah. in Jojo and then Giorno has to keep his mouth shut when everyone else is like oh we got to get back to the Colosseum we have to go get Bucciaretti and he's just like well fuck like I'm not going to say anything in this moment but you know in a, a later moment that we're not privy to, we don't actually get to see on screen, they're going to discover that he's dead and they're going to be fucking wrecked because they're so they're so celebratory over the fact that they won. They just lost Narancia, right? Um, so they're just looking to get back to Bucciaretti and reunite as many people as possible, but he's already dead. Man, I, like Bucciaretti is one of my favorite characters in part five, but I, <laughs> I really need to rewatch. I mean, Strictly JoJo, we're in the midst of part six right now, and then we're going to return to reviewing part three. Uh, but I can't wait to get back to part five because, like, it's my favorite part. There's, there's so many things that I've that kind of went over my head in, in remembering the plot. But, yeah, I knew, like, Bucciarti's death was one that was going to tug at my heartstrings with him being my favorite character in part five. And it's weird because I think earlier... He he fights against Diavolo once he returns Trish to him, and and then they become like the the, the traitors of the gang. And so you think Bucciarti is about to die in that moment until Giorno saves him, and like Bucciarti is suddenly fine. But I think right before that fight at the Colosseum, we realize that this isn't truly Bucciarti. I mean, it's it's him, but it's more like it's a corpse that's been fighting alongside them this whole journey but that just shows uh, Bucciarti's tenacity and his resolve things that we've seen time and time again in Jor Jor in Giorno in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure um, Giorno's Bizarre Adventure <laughs> well yes part five was a bizarre adventure for Giorno but yeah Bucciarti just being that embodiment of the things that make these Jojo characters so awesome <laughs> Was there anyone else from JoJo on your list? Um, yeah, I had two, and the this first one I put Jonathan Joestar. That was because, sad, but it didn't like hit me the same well, way some guess, of the other deaths hit me. Yeah, I guess not to discount it. If mm -hmm. it hit you, that like that's totally fair. Well, yeah, the first time I watched it, like first time I watched part one, I was sort of I was taken aback that an anime would just rip the protagonist out so suddenly like only nine episodes in and, and I you're know, sitting there like now what <laughs> yeah exactly. and then we go into part two and then you have joseph and everyone else's journey and the other parts uh but i think what hit hard the most with jonathan's death is even though he had 
this growing rivalry against Dio because Dio had ripped everything good out of his life ever since Dio became a part of the Joestar family and they had their showdown uh, at, at the castle and then Dio still ends up clinging on to life as, as a disembodied head. Jonathan embraces him in his final moments as as a brother and you know, I don't think it, it, it's obviously not enough to redeem Dio because Dio remains the big baddie in JoJo in subsequent parts. But at the very least, it makes Jonathan die as an honorable and noble character as we had seen him throughout part one. And <laughs> this might be uh, this might be a hot take, but it's also just sad to see how much degeneracy his his bloodline has fallen into after that point. Because, of course, you got Joseph uh, and his crazy antics. And you have Jotaro, who's just the biggest sundere in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, Josuke, who's like an illeg- illegitimate child. And then Giorno, who's, who was made out of Jonathan's body and, and Dio's head or whatever. So, like, he, Jonathan had a great... Great start with with Jojo, and then it just his bloodline descends into madness. And so I guess that that's kind of the sad thing about his death too, is he can't keep his family under control um, after his passing. It's okay; they always come out in the end by uh, mm-hmm. you know saving the world and keeping that Joestar blood alive. And the second death that hit hard for me in Jojo was from Part Four, and that's Shigechi's death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think Shigechi was only introduced a couple episodes before his demise. And it was kind of like the stand, the enemy stand of the week, enemy stand user of the week in, in part four. Uh, but then he becomes chums with Josuke and, and Okuyasuku. He, Okuyasuku. He becomes <laughs> Okuyasu. I've never heard anyone use that. Well, because like you know, in real life, <laughs> right, well, uh, high school friends. He becomes high <laughs> school go. friends <laughs> <That's> with <chum. laughs> with Josuke and Okuyasu, but then he gets roped into the whole thing of finding out who's been terrorizing Moriocho when he runs into Yoshikage Kira, and then you have the iconic "My name is Yoshikage Kira" line um, as Shigechi is trying to defend against his enemy stand, uh, Killer Queen. But she gets she ends up biting the dust, and he knows like like he's found out the identity of the Moriocho killer, and he does his darndest to let Josuke know. And there's like really sad music that plays as like Shigechi's on the verge of death and going up to the classroom that uh, Josuke and Okuyasu are hanging out in. And I think the last thing. Like Shigechi, he's doing this because he wants to save his his mama and papa, as he, he's saying, um, which is sad because like you know he's he's a kind of like a simple-minded uh, high school student, but has has good intentions. And his last moments, he screams out Josuke's name, and then just explodes into nothing, except his stand harvest. I think one of the last of his beetles brings uh, Kira's button to Josuke and that's what sets the chain of events for the the Duong gang (laughs) to find out about Kira and so it's thanks to Shigechi that they're able to find out the identity of this killer that's been 
terrorizing Moriocho. Uh, but it's like Shigechi's an unsung hero because not everyone, like he wasn't a really popular student in high school. And so it's really Josuke and Okuyasu who can actually remember him. Shigechi's death is made even worse because there's that group of girls that make fun of him when he's oh, trying yeah. to live. <laughs> Poor it's guy. It's really bad. Yeah. All right, the next anime on my list with character deaths that hit hard. This is going to be major spoiler territory. So if you have not watched this anime, I suggest you skip ahead because the things that we are going to talk about specifically from this anime, uh, I think are are, are important deaths that are significant and if you haven't watched the series which is going to wrap up next year i suggest that you do so before hearing what we have to say that anime is attack on titan yeah i have that on my list too but i'm yeah. curious to know of all of the deaths in attack on titan who you have versus who i have okay i have four total from attack on titan the first one I have is like the first major death in the series, and that is Aaron's mother, Carla Yeager, who is ripped away in the first episode. And the way I see it is that Carla is a symbol of innocence, and for Aaron to witness her death firsthand, it's it's kind of like he's lost all form of innocence in this world like i think if carla hadn't died it wouldn't trigger him to become this vengeful person who wants to eliminate all the titans and that that kind of grows into something more complex as we find out more about the world so i think like carla yeah, like even watching her death in slow motion, I know the anime kind of cuts out the parts where uh, Emir's Titan, not Emir's Titan, who am I thinking? Dinah Fritz's Titan, like just cracks her body in half, almost like a like cracking a crab leg, shell, like a shell for crab legs, and then him watching her get eaten. It's it's a harrowing moment for him as a child, and. That just leads to, like, it just shows us right from the get-go how brutal this story is going to be and how unforgiving it will be to the characters that we see. I have three more, but I'm curious to hear who you have from Attack on Titan that had a significantly hard-hitting death. So I have two in total, um, but the first one I have is Erwin's death. Did you have this one? Yes, I did. Yeah, his (laughs) death was rough because... He's a character who did what needed to be done in order to protect humanity. There's a lot of talk or a lot of like inner monologues from him in season three where he says, like we get some backstory on him and he says like, I'm standing on a mountain of corpses. I've had to make so many difficult decisions, but I've done it to the benefit of humanity so that we can continue to survive. So he's always been in a very, very, very difficult position. So it's almost like his death is partially freeing in that moment Mm -hmm. because he no longer has to make those decisions. And I'm pretty sure... Um, right after he dies, Levi makes a comment like that as well. Something to the effect of like... Yeah, it was a uh, give up your dreams and die. Yeah, basically saying like, it's you've done enough. Like, it's time for you to rest. 
Um, you don't need to continue the struggle anymore. You've, you've done plenty for humanity. Uh, but at the same time, it also sucks because he never got to see what was in the basement. <laughs> oh my God, I, that part just kills me. That That's what rips me to pieces is that he's such a cool character. You got to respect him just to a certain degree and you just have to feel for the guy. He's the one that pushed the group to reach the basement. Yes, of course, Aaron wanted to see what's in the basement. Everyone wanted to see what was in the basement, but Erwin, Erwin is the one who probably wanted to see it the most. Probably more than Aaron, I, you could argue. Mm. <laughs> uh, like he, he really wanted to get to that fucking basement and he never did. He never did. And then I guess to add insult to injury, he had the opportunity to continue living. But Levi made what is arguably the right choice um, to save Armin instead of Erwin. So that mm -hmm. Armin could take that that torch, you know, have that torch passed on from Erwin to him because Armin was the natural successor to Erwin. And I don't think Erwin's death was in vain. I, yeah, he, he didn't get to see the basement, but it's because of him that the scouts were able to reach this point. I think just with the amount of, like the, the burden on Erwin's shoulders after having witnessed the deaths of so many scouts before him, and you, know, you see that, um, image of him standing on the pile of bodies of scouts. It's not to say that Erwin is unforgivable because he was ultimately fighting for the greater good of humanity. But I think it, it's at this point, like it, it's too much for one person to handle. And like you said, it's passing the torch on to a, a new generation who can continue to fight for the greater good without having all of that same sort of guilt weighing them down. Also because it's Daisuke Ono who also voiced Jotaro and it was disappointing <laughs> to hear that he was no longer going to be on the show. Um, but I think anyone would agree with me when I say that I would gladly die for Erwin as well and to die with him with how triumphant, like how rousing his speeches are and his his cries of dedicate your heart or shinzo wosa saga yo uh, those are moments that I, I miss going into the final season uh let's see i have an another death two more deaths from attack on titan i think we might be sharing this one uh sasha browse yeah she's the other one i have on my <laughs> list uh she met her untimely demise in uh final season Part one, or was it part two? Um, part one. Yeah. Yeah. One. Yeah, it was part one. Uh, and it's because, like, Sasha is also one of the most innocent on, on the show. Uh, not maybe like, not the purest of heart as, like, Carla Yeager, but Sasha never really made waves with anybody. She was more of the comic relief. Except for Potato Sergeant. <laughs> yeah well she wasn't making waves when she offered the the potato to him um, and yeah she was the glutton of the show too and so a lot of a lot of the comedy came from her uh just wanting to eat everything in sight and like a titan whoa <laughs> yeah and and like being one of the more aloof characters alongside kanye so I would get, I would say like her death was one of the safer deaths in Attack on Titan. Like there wasn't much stake behind it, but that didn't mean it made it any harder, less harder to bear. 
especially because like in her last moments she's she's still showing her hunger for for meat and then she dies or she's or about it, Niccolo. yeah so yeah i i have sasha on my list as well um but it's not okay how do i describe this Sasha's death is one that I saw coming a million miles away. And you're right. Like, it was probably one of the safer deaths um, in the show at the time that it happened. But it was still emotional. It was still impactful. Um, But it wasn't – it didn't resonate with me when she died in that moment. It it resonated with me after the fact when we learned about her being in love with Niccolo and Niccolo being in love with her. That's when it was like – right like a jab right to the heart um because i i think with sasha like they they set that up so obviously the moment gabby and sasha glared at each other in the middle of that battle i'm like sasha's dead one of the two of them is dead it's probably (laughs) sasha i was like she's gonna fucking die um and then when they got into the airship and i think it was either connie or john put their arms around the other two in their trio and said, you guys, like, I care about everyone, but you two are the most important to me. I, I love you guys. You know, we're best friends. I was like, that's it. She's dead. <laughs> like, she is dead. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so obvious. Um, again, it didn't make it any less sad, but it, it just made it so obvious that I was already ready for it by the time it happened. But then comes the the fact that Nicola was in love with her, um, that we never even got to really experience their relationship. We've never gotten any flashbacks about it. Um, except for, I guess, the day that they met. But we just feel how much they were in love with each other and how mm-hmm. much he cares about her to the point where that love continues to drive everything that he does for her family. That's what made, that's what elevated Sasha's death for me because it's it's very difficult to take a death that didn't hit you in the first place to then introduce another element to it and suddenly that bring the death full circle for you. Yeah, like it, it shows almost that that bridge between the Marlians and Eldians that that's that relationship that Sasha had with Niccolo, and not to say that bridge is broken, but you know it's it's a wound that won't heal. So, who is the last one on your list for Attack on Titan? Uh, yeah, this one was kind of hard to think about, but it's Bertolt's. You were sad about Bertolt dying? What? <laughs> okay, I need <laughs> well, an explanation it, a, on this it, one. It hit hard. I think with th- this is the one where it's a death that I was like, I'm I'm glad he's dead. Oh, okay, that's fair. Yeah. Right, because <laughs> we find out that Bertolt's the colossal titan, and he was the one that instigated all of these events from the beginning with with Reiner and like the colossal titan. I know it was such a mystery until season two when we find out the truth about Bertolt and Reiner. Um, but just knowing that he was like he caused countless deaths on Paradis in his colossal Titan form, and he's he's kind of the the one target that has always been on, on the scouts' radar, especially in season three when they're trying to retake. I think it was like they they tried to retake Shiganshina. And, you know, the steam is emanating from the Colossal Titan because he's trying to get rid of Armin. And uh, Armin, I guess you could call that as a death that hit hard, although Armin survived, uh, as, as we know, in, through the final season. Um, but then he, he finally gets one-upped by Armin's sacrifice and then with Eren showing up. 
And that was a moment I was like, fuck yeah, Berthold's dead. But then you learn more about Berthold through the final season. And in some of his monologues, he's kind of like, he's saying that he didn't want to be part of this whole mission. It was kind of just forced upon him by Marley and and, and their their goals for this war against the Eldians. Um, so it's kind of like, it said that, Berthold didn't get to live the life that he wanted. It was just more him acting as a pawn for this great military. And as much as I was happy to see Berthold get eaten by Armin's uh, regular Titan in his final moments, you, you hear him cry out for for Annie and for Reiner, who were his friends despite the atrocities that they committed. And you realize like he at the end of it all, Bertolt's just just a human and he was just forced into these things and so that's what makes his death kind of hit hard for me yeah I could see that um I was also kind of like good Bertolt because you're kind of a wuss he was so wishy-washy <laughs> and like I don't know just like a wuss the whole time like if you're gonna if you're gonna do these things to protect your family just like be committed just be committed the way Annie and Reiner are like yeah it's not easy I I, I don't blame you for for being you know, torn up about it. But sometimes I was just like, Bertolt, just like, just, I don't know, put your foot down about it. Mm. I don't know. He was so wishy-washy that I was, I was like not that upset when he died. <laughs> I guess that that's what made it hard to see. Like, yeah, it, it's his mission as the Colossal Titan to, to see this through. But I guess for him to be in this position in the first place, and you can say that, that I guess, to all of the characters on the show, especially with the Eldians, like, why are they... Why are they forced to fight amongst themselves? And like, why can't people just recognize the humanity in each other in this show? Um, and I think that's kind of what Bertolt symbolizes for me. The next anime on my list is Made in Abyss, season one in particular. Mm. So there's a, a death, and I'll just talk quickly about this, but there's one death that just is... It's it's very sad, but it sticks in my mind for a very particular reason, and that's Mitty. Oh, <laughs> yes, Mitty dying is pretty fucking sad. Not because like her death is sad, but how it impact impacted Nanachi was really sad, mm -hmm. and how torn up Reg was about having to be the one to kill her because he's he was the only one who literally could kill her. So um, for a quick refresher, Miti had a really fucked up childhood because Bondrud turned her into a, a creature of the abyss, and she was suffering forever and ever for however many years her and Nanachi have been alive, and Nanachi has tried every possible way to kill Miti as a way to relieve her from her her like eternal prison. Like just this prison of a blob of a body that she's in. And then finally Nanachi meets Reg. Reg explains how his hand cannon works and she's like, maybe this is the only way to kill Miti. Lo and behold it is, um, but that doesn't make the death any easier. Cause it, it's a really fucked up scenario because 
Nanachi doesn't want to kill Miti, but also wants to kill Miti. So it's like it's it's like this bittersweet moment of like finally she's released from this this pain that she's constantly in. But also you're fucking murdering your best friend who mm-hmm. went through hell and back with you. So yeah, watching Miti die um, and watching Nanachi's reaction to it, it was a very very emotional scene. Um, and I, I think for me, it's not only the meme about like meaty, but also just everything that it meant for those characters in that moment. Yeah. As much as I've, I've mentioned, like, I'm not like too hot on made of made in abyss. Um, yeah. Meaty's death was, it was, it hit hard. <laughs> I'll, I'll just put it that as with the title of this episode. Uh, I didn't think, you know, I would feel so emotional over watching this this blob of meat get disintegrated by Reg's cannon. Uh, but yeah, it was more so, like you said, Nanachi's reaction to, to Miti's death. Uh, Cause I know like, it's weird. Like you have all these very cutely drawn characters and they're put into these, these really strange and almost morally questionable situations. But I know like with this, it was finally getting Miti, to a place where she didn't have to continue to endure suffering and just be at rest and be at peace. The next anime I have on my list is Hunter Hunter. And there was only, well, there, there are two characters in Hunter Hunter whose deaths hit hard for me. And do you have any from Hunter Hunter? Um, I don't, but I figured you would. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, the, the two characters that I'm talking about, and it, it'll make sense why they go hand in hand, is Meruem and Komugi's death. Is hand in hand a, a pun? Because oh, they literally died no. hand in hand. They don't. died hand in hand. The <laughs> yeah. last image we see are the two of them, are, are their hands holding each other's hand. Yeah. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> uh, and like, their deaths were from the Chimera Ant arc, which is a really strange and unexpected arc and obviously the longest in Hunter x Hunter. But it also provided this really unexpected trajectory that makes the Chimera Ant arc stick out the most um, in Hunter x Hunter. Uh, Meruem is obviously supposed to be the king of or the leader of the Chimera Ant and is this sort of ultimate being who is destined to take or like conquer the world and conquer humanity. But you learn over time, like he has this, like Kamugi enters the picture because he wants to face off against like the, the greatest game players in, in the world. And so Kamugi comes up and she's this young blind girl who is good at, what was it called? Gungi. Gungi. And like she's just this master of Gungi and Meruem never gets to defeat her. And through their games of Gungi together, he starts to develop like human emotions and empathizes with Komugi to the point where it's kind of wrestling. Like he becomes conflicted about his role as leader of the Chimera Ants when he also is starting to develop these feelings for uh, a, a human that he would consider inferior. So this thing of flipping the script with who we assume to be the antagonist for the Chimera Antarch 
it makes things really interesting when he's facing off against Netro. Is that the guy's name? The old guy's name? I think so. Uh, let me look that up really quick. Uh, Netro Hunter Hunter. Yes, when he has that face down against uh, or showdown against Netro, and it's you think it's a battle of ideals where Netro is championing the good and Meruem um, the bad, but it's it's a kind of it becomes a rough fight to watch because you see Meruem doesn't want to engage in battle, but Netro is doing it out of necessity, knowing that the Chimera Ants are going to be a plague upon the world. Uh, and I think that leads to, like, Meruam's healed by his his knights or whatever. I forget their names. Um, but he's succumbing to, a, like, a kind of nuclear poisoning. And then you find out in his final moments that the only thing he wants to do is spend time with Komugi. And so they go into that shelter, and they're just doing what they've done for the entirety of the arc that they've enjoyed was just playing Goongi together. And you hear, like, the camera pans onto, like, background environment uh, in their shelter, but you hear Meruem start to succumb to the poisoning, and he's asking Komugi to, to care, take care of him and if he can rest a bit in her arms. And... I don't. I think there was like this moment was silent, so all you hear is their conversation, and their voices start to fade away. And I think you have the final shot, with, which is like an artsy shot of both of them, if I remember correctly, and then it's just silence, and then you hear, "Next time on Hunter." Hunter. And that was the <laughs> dumbest transition. Holy shit! I do, I still do not know why they didn't just. <laughs> omit that and just go right into like you know like the end yeah. song or something I was like, like that was a yeah. dumb dumb choice i mean it, it made for a really funny moment that you know ripped mm-hmm. you out of the emotion you just experienced but i was like why yeah and, oh my god like this is one of two deaths in anime that really got me teary-eyed and i revealed this to you during our hunter hunter uh, episode with anime brothers like i had to, like, i kind of hid my face from you just because I like there were tears just co- almost running down my face as I was hearing this conversation between Meruem and Komugi. But I think it's just like just all of the buildup of this relationship to that moment is what makes this such a beautiful thing to witness. Yeah, speaking of buildup, I think the Chimera Ant arc is the perfect example of someone saying just trust me just get through this many number of episodes and it's worth it it pays off or someone mm-hmm. saying like you need to watch this part in order to fully appreciate the end that's literally what this arc is like the arc was very long sometimes it felt a little bit too long but then the payoff was insane because that death was so impactful so yeah I, i'm i'm just glad that they were able to pass on in each other's company but man that that's probably so far the the death that's hit the hardest for me in anime. Like it's one that, I, as I think about it, like I I get chills again. It's it's that impactful. The last anime that I have on my list um, before we get into some quick mentions is Gurren Lagann. Mm. I didn't think you'd have this one on your list. I'm not surprised. But I have Gurren Lagan and I have two characters for Gurren Lagan. There are other deaths that happen, but these two hit the hardest. The first is, I think, the one that hits everyone the hardest. It's Kamina's death. 
Yeah. Did you feel anything when Kamina died? I think for me, it was like, whoa, he died so quickly. Yeah, he's another one sort of like um, another death that I mentioned earlier. I won't mention it now in case somebody skipped that part um, where you just don't expect it. It's like, what, six, seven, eight episodes in and Kamina dies. And Kamina is not the main character. Obviously, it's Simone. But Kamina has main character energy. He's the one that brings life to the show in the first season, or at least in the first part of the first season, before he's ripped away from everybody. Um, he even has a budding romance with Yo- Yoko. Why did I just Yoko. brain fart? Yeah, I was like brain yeah. farted on her name. Um, he has a budding romance with Yoko. So you just see all of these great things happening for him. Their, their group is growing stronger and, and bigger and they're reaching toward his and Simone's goal and then suddenly he dies. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, dude, he was a cool character. I love him and now he's gone. But then once you think it's all over and you know, you've know you gotten past the major death of the show, in the final moments of the entire show comes another death that is just absolutely heart-wrenching and that's Nia's death. And her death is completely unavoidable because her life is tied directly to, I believe, the Spiral King and and basically the antagonist of the show. So Simone is faced with killing or or destroying the antagonist. His wife. And yeah, and and through that, destroying his wife. I mean, she, she lives long enough to get married to Simone, but then literally at their wedding ceremony, as soon as they're they've become husband and wife. That's when she disappears, right? I think it's like at that that moment. I think so, yeah. And that's just so sad because Simone lost Kamina, lost many people along the way, um, and he grows up and, and almost embodies Kamina by the end of it all and then gets to finally be with Nia and she's ripped away from him. And then he goes into wow, hiding a, for many years. I don't blame what a him. sad life. <laughs> yeah, so those two deaths were really, really rough. Again, there were other ones that... Um, certainly hit hard in Gurren Lagan, but those two will always stand out for me. And the last death that I have, <laughs> I don't even know if this is a death that really hit hard, but I remember this as a child. Uh, as a child? Yeah. What? <laughs> it's, it's from Pokemon, the first movie. Oh, and it's shit. Not, it's not technically a death, but in that moment, I was like, damn. It's when Ash turns to stone. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> because you see, uh, what was it? Like the clones are fighting each other and... You know, Ash thinks he can throw hands against Mewtwo to stop everything, and then Mewtwo <laughs> just turns him into stone. And you see the real Pikachu come up, and tears just start flowing down his face. And I thought, oh shit, Ash is dead. <laughs> but then you have this this moment where all of the the tears of the real Pokemon and the clone Pokemon somehow flow together to to bring him back to life. But you know, Ash's death brought them together to do this. And <laughs> I guess that kind of hit hard when I watched this as a child. And not only that, if I remember correctly, when Mewtwo turns him to stone, he actually turns Ash's hat around. So like his <laughs> hat right. is like backwards, <laughs> I think, when he's about to throw hands with Mewtwo mm-hmm. and then Mewtwo t- turns him to stone and suddenly his hat is facing forward again. I think yeah. there's a meme about that. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe it was like it was forward and then it turned backwards when he turned to stone. But either way, that was just like the, the little cherry on top. Yeah. So this isn't an actual death, but you know, as a a budding kid who was a fan of Pokemon, it it was significant. It still hit hard. <laughs> so now we have a quick list of um, deaths that we saw coming 
or didn't care about or like whatever. Because I, I was going through this list and putting together ones that like hit hard and all of that, like ones that really resonated with me. But then there were some where I was like, I just don't think I care about this death. So I thought it would be interesting to add those. Do you have any on your list? No. Actually. Okay. Well, then so I'm, I'm just going to go through this. Yeah, you, what you have. <laughs> all right. So first off, I have My Hero Academia. When, what the fuck was his face? Night Eye or whatever? Oh, yeah. Right? Night Is that his Eye. name? Mm-hmm. Um, who was it? Uh, Mirio's, like, mentor. Yeah. Right? When he died, I was like, oh, okay. I think the, <laughs> the problem was that his death, like, he was a, dis, like a not, not disposable, expendable character. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, um, the death that should have happened or, like, could have happened that would have been more impactful would have been All Might's death. He, like, I guess kind of died because he doesn't have his powers anymore, so he's kind of mm-hmm. useless. So when you go from that to, like, Night Eye dying, it's kind of like, well, I don't know. You're comparing, like, apples to oranges at that point. Yeah. So it just made it, like, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just me. I was just kind of like, oh, that's sad, I guess. I felt worse for Mirio. I, I felt way worse for Mirio in that moment than I did for Night Eye. So, yeah. That's what it is. Um, the next one is Death Note. I have this one again, but it's a death that I saw coming. I mean, Light dying was the only option for that ending, mm-hmm. for that show. It would have been insane if he lived. It would have ruined the whole show, the whole entire story if he lived. There was no way around that. Like he, the, the author, the creator had to kill Light in the end. Otherwise, what the fuck was all of this for? It would have just been so weird. So... I mean, the second Death Note started, I was like, this character's going to die, like, at the end. It's just, we're here to go along the journey and, and see how he ends up dying in the end. Then I have Dragon Ball Z. I guess you could say Goku, but, like, really anyone <laughs> dying in Dragon Ball Z is just, like, I don't care because death is so easy to overcome in that show that it no longer is a serious issue. It no longer holds any weight to it because... Goku can just keep fucking coming back to life whenever he fucking feels like it. I mean, I know I'm exaggerating. So it's like, really, is is death important anymore? No, it's more just like a, a an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I have on here, um, don't at me, it's Demon Slayer. Specifically, it's Rengoku's death. Oh. I'm sorry, I just didn't. It's not that I didn't care. It's just that I don't think it's as impactful as they made it out to seem. And we hot discussed take. this. Yeah, hot <laughs> but no, take. I, I kind of agree with we you. We discussed uh, discussed this at length in our Demon Slayer Mugen Train review on Strictly Anime. So feel free to jump over there and hear the the gritty details around our thoughts on this. But I, I think it's sad that Rengoku died. Yes, but it didn't hit hard for me the way it did for a lot of other fans because I'm sitting here thinking. Tanjiro is freaking out about his death. I mean, screaming and just losing his shit over a dude he's known for like maybe an hour or two. They knew each other for such an insignificant amount of time. And it's not that you can't form bonds in in a very short amount of time, but it's like you just met this guy for the first time on the train. And then he dies a few few hours later. Death is always going to be a sad thing, but it was just so over the top for somebody that they just met um so i think that's what maybe made it less impactful for me so yeah it's not that i didn't necessarily care about rengoku or about him dying i just didn't get why people were so distraught over it actually i I do have a character that just came up in my head uh from jujutsu kaisen okay i was gonna put that wait what who from season one of jujutsu kaisen do you know who 
Junpei. Yes. Okay. I put Junpei as an honorable mention because hmm. it wasn't one that I didn't care about. It also wasn't one that I saw coming. None of us saw that coming because they fucking <laughs> lied to us in, in the, the ED. O- or, or the OP. <laughs> OP or ED? I thought it was the OP. Oh, no, no, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, the, the ED, ED, when they're mm-hmm. all at the picnic. Yeah. <laughs> like, they fucking lied to us. We all thought Junpei was... Cause usually... know, yeah, they took him out on the next episode after he dies. Or yeah, whatever. like, usually in OPs and EDs and anime, they spoil what's going to happen. So we're all sitting there confident, like, oh, Junpei will live. He'll be fine. No, he fucking dies. He dies, and they lied to us. Holy shit. Biggest betrayals in anime, or top 10 betrayals in anime. Yeah, I mean, I think... Junpei was a character that was part of uh, Itadori's journey um, in learning about his powers, like the powers he can use to to defend against the curses or whatever. Uh, but I think like Junpei kind of just served as like a plot device. <laughs> like his death was yeah. just there. Um, I think he showed up. I'm looking at the synopsis here as from uh, episode nine of the season, and then his demise was in I think episode. Th- uh, uh, episode 12 so he was only there for four episodes <laughs> like yeah it's it's a sad death but it's something that didn't hit hard as much as it should have i guess honestly though they did a great job of disguising it i i think like that that choice to put junpei in the ed was great because it threw us all off the scent um, and usually in anime, a lot of deaths are predictable because you've got the red flags of like the fucking backstory popping up or the OP spoils it or whatever. Here it's like they made as annoying of a choice as it was. I think they made the right choice so that Junpei was an unexpected element. So there you have it. These are the deaths in anime that hit hard, particularly for us. As I mentioned earlier, normally this is the point in the episode where we would ask everyone to reach out to us and let us know what deaths hit you hard and all of that, or deaths that we didn't talk about. However, we don't want spoilers. So if you would like to share a death that hit you right in the feels, please post it in our Discord with spoiler tags. We encourage everyone to share theirs over there in the Discord talk about it if you are aware of it but please spoiler tag the shit out of it for those of us who may not know it's going to happen or at least don't uh, want to be spoiled put the title of the anime first and then spoiler tag after that so so we know what we're context. about to click yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know spoiler etiquette just follow that and we'll all be good um and if you're not a member of our discord the link to join is in the description we hope that you will join us and and share your thoughts. But yeah, this may be one of the very few episodes where we won't encourage everyone to reach out to us, but Discord is there if you'd like to share. And whether or not we know of the characters, uh, just make sure to pour one out for all the anime homies that we mentioned or did not mention. It's kind of weird because, you know, like these aren't real figures. Like they're just characters that are animated for television or for cinema. But we resonate so much with seeing their, like, seeing their demise, it just hits us so hard. But I think, as I said at the beginning, it's just a testament to the stories that are, are told in anime. And it, it's, it's just wild to think <laughs> that I could be crying over the death of a, basically an, an ant person <laughs> or, or crying over the death of, of a, someone who has a, iguana helmet on it's it's wild that's all thanks to really good writing 
mm-hmm. and character writing. Like it's just these characters um, mean something to us as fans. Yeah. And you know who else means something to us? Our amazing listeners. Thank you, everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you love that. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed this discussion episode. It's been a bit since we've had a discussion episode here on Strictly Anime, so it's nice to get back into one of these. And we have more coming soon for you guys. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. But please, spoiler tag, follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where tomorrow, as of when this recording goes live, we will be celebrating our anniversary over at Strictly JoJo. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.